This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 276. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up in this episode we introduce a brand new guest to podcast Under the Stairs. Granted you will have heard her voice before if you check out our movie club stuff we do. She's been contributing audio reviews over there for quite some time and she's about to kick off a brand new podcast. The details of that are covered in the review. It drops today apparently, the day this episode drops as well so when you're finished listening here jump across and check out her podcast right uh, we're going to be covering horns by alexander azure and that's coming up after the first break before we get to that as always let's recap where we are this week it started off with some forgotten jelly action and then swung into a little bit of movie club with your reviews of existence we are jumping one more episode ahead tomorrow with the 88 film slasher classic collection so we continue our journey through that series over on the Teapots Collective tomorrow you get the next instalment of Doing the Nasty that is of course looking at the tier 3 movie list I suppose we can call it that although it wasn't a technically formal list but the tier 3 list of video nasties myself and Mark Ball continuing that journey um, just a quick reminder, Jaws is shite and other regrettable outbursts dropped an episode just over a week ago. It is episode number two for that monthly podcast. To find all the details on that, you can go over to tputzcast.com and follow the links from there. It is a banter booze fest podcast where we just talk about a lot of nonsense, regrettable decisions. Talk about your regrettable decisions, which you can submit into regrettablepod at gmail.com and hopefully keep you entertained in these still kind of weird times that we're in just now okay that is us all caught up ladies and gents we're going to take a short break just now you're going to hear promos for shows that i love you're going to hear the trailer for horns when i return myself and my guest kate will be discussing that movie right after this As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at gohpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app and remember say hello to your little friend for me
love you for the rest of my life. Just love me for the rest of mine. Please, you have to believe me. I loved her. What does it feel like to get away with murder? She's asked God to save your soul. She asked the devil to punish you ever killed her. You know, you don't have to convince me. I believe you. Why are you protecting me? Because if I did anything to her, then I'm a monster. Did you notice anything unusual? In my notes? What are they? You know how I think we should proceed? I should grind me up some Oxycontin and have a little snort. Well, um... Everyone in this town is going crazy. I think it's because of me and these horns. You killed that innocent girl, now the devil has claimed you. I didn't kill her father, and now people are telling me all these things I don't want to hear. I'm so bad. I'm bad. I'm pretty enough to be on TV, right? We gotta figure out who really killed Marin and get him to confess. Kid, I would never hurt her. Tell me, tell me everything that happened. Admit you killed her. It'd be such a huge scoop for me. I got an idea. How about you guys beat the heck out of each other, and the winner gets an exclusive interview with me. What's that snake doing around your neck? I made a new friend. Are those horns? Damn right, they're horns. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, every now and again, I get the opportunity to sit down and chat to new voices, introduce them to the podcast Under the Stairs family, and also to you guys, the listeners. It's an important part of what I do. I enjoy doing it. I don't get to do it nearly as much as I used to just because the podcast community that we exist in is now huge. It used to be that everyone knew everyone and there was six degrees of separation between you and the podcast that was coming out the day after you. But nowadays there's plenty of different avenues and the exciting part of being... I hate to say this because it ages me, that one of the elder statesmen currently of, of the podcast community is to see people find their own voice, find their own foot and then start their own stuff. It's a, it's an exciting part of being a podcaster, seeing the next group of people take up the mantle and move forward. Um, the guest I'm going to introduce you to is about to do that very thing. She's about to start off a podcast with a friend and they are going to be uh, they're going to be delving into the murky waters of um, putting content out there which people can listen to and critique. It is nerve-wracking to say the least but also kind of exciting. Now the reason she's on this episode is not only because I think she's awesome but she will be part of the summer series. She'll be one of the hosts running the gamble on that, so two feet in, um, straight away going into probably arguably the hardest thing that I do in podcasts under the stairs, she's just going to take part in it, which to me shows a, a hefty degree of balls. It is my privilege and pleasure at this time to introduce a voice that you will know if you've listened to the Movie Club, and if you just interact around the podcast under the stairs Facebook page, welcome to the show, Kate Pollock, how are you doing? Hi, Duncan. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 
I mean, this is exciting because I feel like we chat, but we don't like we don't chat at the same time. You, you're very involved yeah. on the Facebook page. I was you- thinking this today, like <laughs> we like <clears throat> we've like interacted online, like messaging and things, and through the Facebook page, we've you know I've heard obviously hear your voice all day every day um you basically live in our house um my daughter recognizes your voice (laughs) um and um you know and then like we have the cast parties where i you know you'll talk and then i'll I'll message kind Mm. of thing because it's that that setup um but this is the first time you and i have actually had i say something you say something in a conversation yeah yeah, yeah. how long have you been listening Um, to podcasts on the stairs yeah it's bizarre but cool how long have you been listening to the the show? Just out of interest, because it's been a while. I think uh, you've been on the page for ages. So, uh huh. Um, yeah. So I think well, I first started listening. I can't. I can't it must be four or five years ago. It's when you Jesus. did the Stephen King top ten. Oh yeah, right, right. Oh yeah. So as 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 we probably go then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That because you um you had uh, my friend Dan on with Gav for the mm-hmm. boys podcast on Haunted Hill, and well, I'm, I'm personal friends with Dan. And um, so I listened to their show, and then I listened to that one, and then you and ba- you and Baz. Um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't really know how to take that. I hadn't heard anything like Baz. Oh right, anything. oh yeah, it's, that's a, that's a tour de force right there. So. <laughs> um, and I was like, "Well, who are these guys?" And um, and then yeah, and, and then I I saw that it was like a whole top ten thing, and I love Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll probably talk a bit about oh, um, yes. <laughs> given what we're going to be discussing today. Um, you know, so like I love Stephen King. And so I was like, oh, it's top 10. And then so basically by the end of that top 10, you had you had me and um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So yeah, like, so I didn't realise it was that long, but um, time does fly when you're having fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is, is this year eight for podcasts under the stairs? I think. Which in itself is is uh, uh, is is what it is. But yeah, so I mean, we should we should double down into this. I think we are like I say, you're going to be part of the summer series, and Mm -hmm. I I try and get people on the show in advance of the summer series. I did the same with Watson before he came over, and the reason behind that is I just I like to get people accustomed to voices in advance of because summer series really is is trial by combat it's a very <laughs> very intense a very fun experience but when you're on the other side so if you the listeners listen to it and they're like oh they made those decisions so easy that you know and it's like no it's not it's really it's really painful behind the scenes to get to those decisions <laughs> yeah i think fun. i've already had my heart broken already you know and it's yeah. not even started yet so <laughs> yeah and you just have to you just have to you have to grow kind of callous skin to to, to get through it but you know the opportunity to sit down and chat with someone so they get used to the voice and also where you're coming from beforehand as a fan is, mm-hmm. is really important to me now the movie we're discussing on this episode is one that you picked and i mean it's, it was a great choice because it means i have ticked this off for my summer series because no doubt it will come up in the conversation but we're going to be looking at alexander Aja's horns based on the joe hill book uh joe hill for those that don't know out there is stephen king's son so I mean, that's why we mentioned Stephen King earlier on. It's probably why I'll come up later on. But before we get into that, I did mention you're about to release your first podcast. Well, you're about to record it and then put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get to the name of the podcast and how people can, well, where they'll be able to check it out and roughly when, um, 
horror-wise, I know you as a kind of voracious reader and a, a, a lover of kind of 90s pop culture uh, when it comes to <laughs> horror, particularly things like Buffy, um, which is uh, not yeah. a bad thing because that's what I grew up watching. Um, mm-hmm. But horror-wise, you, you appear to have quite an eclectic taste and through Movie Club, I, I feel that you openly acknowledge that you've got some areas that you might not have like much history with but what I yeah. found really interesting specifically even through doing the Jallo stuff through where to begin with was mm-hmm. charting your your interest through that what is your kind of favorite subgenre of horror if you have one and at the same time wh- where do you think the blind spot is and what are you looking forward to in terms of trying to tick those blind spots off yeah so um it's funny you asked me this because literally yesterday my friend turned around and he was like Carl, you really have a type don't you and i'm like do i and it turns out my type is basically horns it's (laughs) it's um anything fairy tale-esque anything kind of dark twisted um anything that's just kind of off kilter Mm -hmm. um and and things that make you think um love me some subtext anyone who has heard my entries my very very long entries into um movie club or anything Uh, it's like you have a 20 minute episode and 17 minutes of that is me talking um um, but (laughs) that's not long what's long you know how long's a piece of string um but yeah like i love subtext i i love delving into stuff and finding out like double meanings or things going on beneath the surface i mean but you know i can equally sit down and watch like some dumb slasher and throw popcorn at the screen so to speak kind of thing Mm -hmm. as well like i love i love all of that stuff too but if you really want to kind of really capture my attention that and for me to really kind of see something beyond just what there is on the screen like yeah that kind of stuff really gets me um and I would say in terms of like knowledge gaps, I would say probably, um, I don't know if I should admit this really, because I think I'll be ostracized from all the podcasting. You, you, horror see, that, you see that, but trust me, <laughs> we all have our blind spots. So um, probably more like the really old stuff, like the like universal stuff oh, and yeah. um, Hammer Horror and things, just because it has never really been on my radar, so to speak. Like it's not, anything that like has ever really kind of come up i've seen a few mm-hmm. um and i really like the ones that i've seen it's just a case it's just for me it's just a case of sitting down and actually just putting in some time and, and giving those some love and attention really because you have to really kind of i think you know if you're going to be oh you don't have to be but like for me i like to do homework like i like to find out everything about something like i fangirl hard Mm -hmm. you know like it's all or nothing so i think if i'm going to be like for me if i'm a horror fan i really need to see where it all kind of started i need to see where these influences come from and how those have kind of changed over the decades um and you know you can't really deny that stuff like universal and all those monster movies and you know all that kind of stuff it it all very much contributes to the horror that we have today and um you know for me personally it would be remiss if i didn't go back and, and as i say give it some love and attention yeah i think that's it i think what's interesting about it is that i think nowadays particularly they're like horror fans don't like i remember seeing a ton of universal stuff as a kid in the 80s uh and like loads of hammer stuff in the 80s which i mean by then hammer studios were, were like closed doors for almost a decade 
And I, I just remember seeing that as part of, right, this is Christopher Lee and he plays Dracula. And, you know, and there, here's Christopher Lee again and he's playing the mummy. And why is Christopher Lee also in James Bond? And you, like <laughs> starting to do like those follow throughs for, for different things. There's still a huge section of the, the universal, specifically the kind of sequels to a lot of the original ones that mm-hmm. I've never seen. I'll be honest, there's also a part of me that doesn't kind of feel the need. Those movies started to get a bit derivative pretty quick. It's one of the reasons people... Like with all things horror, there is a tipping point where interest is just lost and you get that almost a decade of lost interest because mm. it's played out so much and what they wait for is the next reinvention. What what country, what territory, what studio is going to take the mantle and you know modernise the stories and, and bring them forward. And so I think that's never a bad thing to be... I mean, there's plenty to mine out, uh, out of those movies, but there's also some... I, I double down always on... Uh, the Mummy. I've, that's one oh. I've seen. I've seen that one. It's one of the most painfully slow, boring movies ever made. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, and it just, yeah, and I, I appreciate it for the time, but it is so slow. And then I watch something like Frankenstein, and I'm like, this is brilliant, and it's paced really well, and it's really tragic and harrowing, and you get all those things. Um, so, like the, the fact that there's there's some that resonate with Creature from the Black Lagoon is like a, a like a forgotten masterpiece, but you, you have to like you have to wade through some pretty tedious tomes in order to get to those movies where you're like, oh yeah, this is this is a bona fide classic, um, and Hammer Studios is terrible for that. <laughs> I love a, I love a lot of horror, but Hammer horror, but there is a ton of Hammer horror which is just goddamn awful uh, it's just really 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 <laughs> bad so uh, yeah you pick it pick it off but i would say start with the the ones that come like to me the 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 starting point for my love of hammer horror was always um the devil rides out uh which is based on the dennis wheatley novel which was all about the occult and black magic and christopher lee was a friend with dennis wheatley uh, who had who had you know interviewed Alistair Crowley? So all the magic practices are in there, and like wow. to the to the end um, of his life, like uh, Christopher Lee would say that his two favorite roles that he played was Lord Summerisle and The Wicker Man, uh, and it was essentially his character, um, and his name escapes me now, uh, which is interesting. Uh, from The Devil Rides Out, where you know these were his two favorite performances, and those performances are very similar in a lot of respects, but completely different. Uh, but it's it's not it doesn't feel like a hammer movie at all like <laughs> when you watch it and it was towards the end so I, I am excited to to hear how you get on when you start looking back because like I say for every every gem you find there's just a whole lot of rough um, <laughs> it might have to be like for my 31 of October because honestly if I'm watching anything before 2010 for the next six months then mm-hmm. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna have time me. for anything else. Yeah, but yeah, maybe yeah. I'll hit it up as my part of my thirty-one. <laughs> uh, right. So you have a podcast which is about to record. Uh, mm-hmm. You're doing it with a fellow listener of this podcast, Matt Wood. Um, yep. What is the podcast going to be called? It's going to be called um, "Eternal Darkness of Not So Spotless Minds." I love it. 
absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, and is it what sort of stuff you're going to be doing? Is it horror or is it genre it's or is it just movie? And horror adjacent. Yeah. So um, there's going to be like a, a mix of stuff. We're going to keep kind of like on genre, mm-hmm. um, but we'll like explore things like you know sci-fi and thrillers and dystopian stuff, and mm-hmm. um, even like dark comedies um, to an extent, like depending on the overall tone and things. Um, and yeah, and it's just going to be a very kind of light-hearted thing. Um, you know, it's it's we're, me and Matt have known each other a few years now, and you know, we always take the piss out of each other. We often have very opposing views when it comes to film, so I think that should make for quite interesting discussion, um, hopefully entertaining discussion. Um, and yeah, and we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna look at two films. Um, one will be before the year two thousand, and the other one will be after the year two thousand, nice. and then like we'll like one will have one and then we'll have the other and then we'll swap for the next episode um and we're gonna look into we're gonna look into trivia and we're gonna look into um like movie news and what we've been watching and it's all kind of like fairly straightforward um it's our first one so you know we wanted to kind of keep things relatively straightforward but um you know hopefully like the conversation will be really entertaining and we should hopefully look at some really cool movies and i'm really hoping to try and find stuff that matt hates just to wind him <laughs> up honestly <laughs> i've already like making a list of things like going back on previous discussions like what films did he really really hate like i'm gonna bring those up and i'm gonna make him go although in fairness he has been threatening me with a serbian film so <laughs> it's, it's not as i know we've been chatting about it for the summer series is not the movie you think it is i, I think that movie comes with so much hype against it. It's it's a very well shot exploitation movie, and that's about the extent of it. Like when me, and, I, I remember back in the day when we were doing really early Baz v Horror, mm. and the listeners had the they, they were in charge of the picks in the first year, uh, for the most part anyway, and um, that's what they d- doubled down on. And I remember Baz saying to me, "Oh." You know, this is going to be. I, I said to him, I was like, You will cruise through this movie. He's like, I don't know. And I was like, I'm telling you, you will cruise through this movie. And he did. He got to the end and he was like, eh. So, oh, I, really? yeah, yeah, it's not what you think it is. There's a there's okay. an infamous scene in there for sure, but it is, yeah. it's not very well executed, which I mean is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> but, um, because it's grateful. <laughs> Because of everything else around there, if you've watched exploitation movies from the seventies, it is basically just a better shot version of that. Um, so you will you will cruise right through. If you, I, I always come back to this. Um, like people double down on a Serbian film as being this kind of traumatic taboo of cinema, um, and you know, irreversible. Is irreversible is about a million times more harrowing. So um, you you've, you've watched that movie, so you got through that one. You will easily, easily get through a Serbian film. Okay, well, that's. I think that's. Martyrs used to be like my standard. Now it's now it's irreversible. It's pretty harrowing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. You're going like, you, like for people who don't know, um, it was kind of my fault because I said I was going to watch it, and then Duncan was like well we could put it on a cast party and make mm-hmm. everyone watch it <laughs> um and um i was like yes group viewing this is a film we should do on a group view um and uh you and afterwards like everyone was dead like no one was writing anything and bless you you were quite concerned like is everyone okay is everyone okay <laughs> and like because you can't hear me <laughs> i was just sat there sobbing i'm like i'm fine i'm totally fine <laughs> i'm like, like hey you okay yeah Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's 
such a be- uh, such a beautiful yet brutal viewing experience that movie um, mm. that and I think sometimes it, there's a, there's a double edged sword that comes with kind of being me on this show um, and that I, when I when I'm excited to talk about something I will speak about it with a huge degree of passion and I think people assume that means that the standard of quality is extremely high. Um, I will speak just as passionately about a movie like Pieces um, <laughs> as I would about a movie like Irreversible for completely different reasons, but that doesn't necessarily denote the quality. I think Irreversible is a absolute masterclass in cinema. I think mm. it, like, it's phenomenal from start to finish. That being said, it's one of the few movies that I've ever seen where... I would watch who I recommend it to. Um, yeah. Like I, 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 there was a, a strong caveat where you know, like if you've if you watch rape in a movie, you think, well, you know, I've seen scenes of rape before in a movie, so I can watch. And I'm like, well, you mm. say you've seen them, but you've never seen them shot like this. And that's the that's the caveat. It's not just the. It's why I come back to the the Serbian film example. Serbian film does have a very infamous scene. Um, where the antagonist or protagonist, however we want to call him, because that movie doesn't have a clue about that, um, you know, molests a baby, and yeah. the, the 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 very the very image of that being even remotely processed by a brain will cause revulsion and also make you not want to watch the movie. However, it's shot so poorly. I don't want to say that, and that it is obvious that it is not a baby. Um, that when you watch it it diffuses it in your brain, if that makes sense. The act itself is repulsive, but because it is not shown in the way that the act of rape is, for example, in the movie Irreversible. I did not expect to get as deep as this. Um, you know, I mean, but the act of that in that movie is, you know, like infinitely more harrowing because one is clearly shot to be real and the other one is clearly shot to shock. And that's the difference. Mm. When you shoot something to shock someone, there should be, not for everyone, but there should be a part of your brain that should try and process what it is exactly that you're seeing. And yeah. most of the time, the action of trying to shock an audience is to supplant things that feel real with extreme gore. Um, and that's just not how, that's just not how death is, or that's just not how those actions are. So there's a, you know, your brain will, if you're me anyway, I'll break away from that. So, yeah, I mean, I, the thing about it is, like, you said you were going to watch that movie yourself, and yeah. I was like, that isn't, like, that is, I made Baz watch Irreversible. He actually, when he finished, when he finished watching the movie, he phoned his wife, who was out at a party, arranged to go and pick her up and bring her home. I'm not surprised. After I watched it, I went downstairs and I gave my daughter the biggest hug. Mm. Like, I just I was just like, this is for me, baby. I'm sorry. Like, I, just, yeah. I, need, I need to hug you right now. Yeah. And there's, there's that, there's that part of like some movies just get, some movies just get into you and, and can inhabit space uh, for, for, for good or for bad. There are movies that I feel are really positive experiences that when I watch them, I, you know, I, I walk around with a goofy smile on my face for three, four days after watching them. And then there's other movies that will hang around me. It's always movies like Requiem for a Dream. After watching that movie for a good three or four days, I just don't feel great. And it's not mm. because the movie itself has done anything horrific, but there's an aura about it that just clings to you after you watch it. So I'm interested about this pick, though. The reason that I'm interested about Horns specifically is that... What we have here in this movie 
is not a kind of paint by numbers Alexander Aja movie. Um, like before this movie, he'd done things like Piranha 3D. Um, <laughs> he'd done High Tension. He'd done yep. the Hills Have Eyes remake. So he was kind of known for being kind of bloody, kind of brutal, and kind of exploit. Exploitative is probably the right word. That's the the genre of film that he was most interested in. And then he got linked to do this project, which felt like a bit of a weird kind of a, a weird marriage between a director and a subject matter. And the original names that were flung around, if memory said, I want to say Shia LaBeouf. I remember hearing casting news about this yeah. back in the day that LaBeouf was going to be in this one. And um, like he fell out and then they cast Daniel Radcliffe, which to me at the time I was like, that's a bad move. <laughs> so that is a bad, bad move. And it's not a, it's not fully fantasy and it's not really fully horror and it's not really fully thriller or drama or romance story. It's a kind of hodgepodge melting pot of all of them. And yeah. there's a health, kind of healthy dose of noir in there. I've always said, like, if you want a, like a, a night of like just incredible twisty turny cinema, you sit down, you watch Horns first, and then you finish your evening by watching Brick um, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Which, if you've never seen that movie, that to the top of your list. That movie I'm is. I'm gonna add that now. I have. I haven't even heard of that one. You've so. never seen Brick before. No. You. you that yeah get that on the, get that on the top of your list i'll I watch that tonight and you can come back and thank me afterwards a life, <laughs> life changing experience so it's a noir movie it's an essentially it's your classic noir story but set in a high school so instead of the like in a noir story you know your your detective your troubled detective is having brushes with different like arms of, like the government or you know like like there'll be the police and then there'll be like the, the mafia families and you know the scum of the earth and all the rest these are factions within the school oh cool so, so it's it's completely pivoted that way and the reason i would recommend it as a doubling up of this one it starts with joseph gordon levitt who is for all intents and purposes or daniel radcliffe of that movie um coming across the dead body of his girlfriend and trying oh. to unravel the mystery by going down the many different roads um, of noir storytelling within a high school. It's fucking legit incredible, so you are going to love it, and you will come back and tell you loved it, but it would work really well with that. Let's get some details about this one, let's get into your thoughts on it. So, like I said before, Horns, uh, directed by Alexander Aja. Um, it's based on the Joe Hill novel, screenplay done by Keith Buren. Um, the movie itself stars the aforementioned Daniel Radcliffe. It stars Juno Temple, Max Minghella, Joe Anderson, Kelly Garner, uh, James Remar, Kathleen Quinlan, Heather Graham, David Morse, Michael Adam Waith. Well, this is where it goes all off the rails. Uh, you can experience it real time. Don Thompson... And there's other folks, but we're not going on to them. Uh, the synopsis for this one is, In the aftermath of his girlfriend's mysterious death, a young man awakens to find strange horns sprouting from his forehead. Terrible synopsis. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paint by numbers synopsis. Um, so, uh, my first question for you is, had you read the book before you watched the movie? I haven't read the book. Neither have uh, I. I. Great. I, I thought you were going to steal me on this. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's waiting patiently on my shelf to be read. It, it. I really wanted to read it before we did this episode, mm. so I could basically be all like, about it. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but um, but alas, I never get time to read anymore, unfortunately, just because my kid is relentless. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I've I've been reading the same book for about five months now. Um, so I definitely <laughs> did not. <laughs> I think that was that was a lofty standard that I was setting for myself. So um, no, that's no, good. That's good. I haven't read it either. Um, I'm, I'm not like the, the weird thing about it is I've, I've I think I've done two Joe Hill books now, and I really I really like his style. And I keep saying I need to spend more time and do some Joe Hill, and then I find out that you know, like two weeks later, I'm listening to Neil Gaiman talk about Norse gods on my Audible, and I'm like, that. Why am I listening to this when I could be checking out? like heart-shaped box or something like that so I, I mean it is on the list i will eventually get around to do it but we are reviewing the movie so do not expect any book insights so that's that's good that's setting see that's setting a standard for the show now that people are like that well that's definitely in the book we're not talking about the book we're not talking no. about the book and um, i'm kind of the worst for that as well so it's probably a good thing <laughs> um right let's 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 get into this um what, when did you see it for the first time? Did you see it in or around when it was released? Because I want to say this was... This come out in 2014. I know it says 2013. 2013, I thought. Yeah, 2013. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you see when it came out or was this a kind of come across it later? This was a come across it later. Yeah, I, um, I remember it coming out and <clears throat> I kind of had the same sort of um, thought process as you when I heard Daniel Radcliffe and I was like, hmm, yeah. really, really? Um, and I feel awful about it now because he's great. Um, but um, yeah, so I kind of I kind of missed it and I'd heard not very good things. And I think um, at the time, because it was Daniel Radcliffe, people kind of went to see it who maybe weren't so like they were maybe less horror fans and things and they maybe thought it was more of a fantasy or, and it is, but there's, you know, there is a lot of horror in there as well. And there's a lot of abstract stuff and no magic wands. Is that what you're telling no me? No magic wands. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think that it kind of, by casting him, it kind of pulled a certain type of audience that weren't expecting the film that it is. Mm -hmm. And as a result, like, I think it, it just didn't get such warm, reviews um and i was sort of hearing like not so good things so that coupled with my kind of predisposition about the casting i kind of avoided it and then i it came up on netflix um a while ago like a good sort of six years ago or something i think mm -hmm. um and it was one of those where my friend had really wanted to watch it and i was like, oh, all right then you know let's crack it on and by the end, she had kind of switched off and I was all in. You know? <laughs> I was like, yes, this is what I want. Give it to me, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it was one of those. And then I've just I've watched it several times since. And it's one of those where I kind of notice different things each time. And, um, you know, it's just a really interesting film to me. Um, I think it has like quite a lot to say. I think it has... Um, a lot of there's like a lot of easter eggs and things for those mm -hmm. who are kind of like you know looking out for them and um i just think you know you mentioned before about it not really playing to one genre or the other i yep. think that's part of what makes it really work i think that i agree yeah there is a real kind of synergy between everything and you know you have like the comedy offsetting the real emotion that goes throughout this film and the bizarreness of what is happening 
offset with these really kind of grounded scenarios and real grounded feelings. And I just think that, like, I don't know if it's the script or if it's Alexander Aja or, or amalgamation of everyone, but I think it just, it really works so well. And so you can be laughing one minute, but then be kind of your heart broken the next, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I would double down on that. I think actually the movie is one of its biggest strengths is the fact that it is so um, narratively dyslexic in parts. It really, really does <laughs> kind of just, it, it, it follows moods in, mm. in, in the movie, which I think is something we don't often see in um, particular Western cinema, but specifically American cinema. Uh, mm. American cinema tends to play to, if it's a comedy, it's a comedy. If it's a horror, it's a horror. Um, mm. And there are certain studios that, like E24 is a great example of a studio that, um, you know, might experiment with those ideas without necessarily committing to to one, but you most notably see it in um, like the cinema of Korea, Japan, um, mm, yeah, you know, and other territories, South America in particular, where you get this idea of it's what works for the story, and oh. even in the most tragic, darkest, and most serious moments in cinema, you know, strange and weird and funny things might happen. So uh, the the fact that even on the IMD imdb for this it lists the genres as comedy crime drama fantasy mystery and thriller <laughs> um to me to me shows that you know at the time and i remember a lot of the reviews because i saw this when it came out i remember right. a lot of the reviews going into it because it didn't go like day one where that the movie was it, it didn't know what it wanted to be it had this identity crisis of you know it was being very much packaged and sold because it came out about i want to say this came out about it was around October. I have that in my. I have it distinctly in my head that this was this was one of the movies. It has that October vibe for sure. Yeah, I'm, I, but the, the, I remember the marketing being like, "This is a horror movie," and it's right. not. It really. It, I mean, it has yes, for all intents and purposes, it, it, there there are elements in there, but to just flat out call it a horror movie is to do a disservice to all the other yeah. stuff that's yeah. actually in there. But then, the more I thought about it, the more I felt like in a book you don't necessarily have to package what the book is you are watching it because the author is the author that you like so Stephen King has not always written horror books but his yeah. audience tends to follow him through for that reason because uh, we want to read the next Stephen King book um, we get that sometimes in cinema not a lot Sp- like the big names Spielberg Tarantino you know those guys whatever they release there's a inbuilt audience that will go and see them but when it comes to a movie like this very very difficult to market this movie in a way which actually accurately represents what the viewing experience is so I think that was one of the big reasons that there was a a large amount of fairly negative reviews that came out for the movie and Mm. very much like yourself my experience with it was sitting down kind of nonplussed about it interested I quite liked Aja I wasn't uh, you know wasn't like the biggest biggest fan I loved High Tension did not like Mirrors um (laughs) you know wasn't at that time a fan of his Hills of Eyes remake um at first didn't like Piranha 3D I grew to actually enjoy that movie quite a bit um 
but Sam was like, well, we'll see what this this guy's got in the bag, but I don't know. It kind of looks like watered down Del Toro. Let's see what you've got. <laughs> and and by the end of it, I was the same as you. I enjoyed the journey. I enjoyed the character journey. I think it's it, it, it's it's kind of beautifully bookended. Um, ultimately, mm. ending with the same scene it starts with, which yeah. I think works works to its you know it, it works to its it, it's a benefit for sure, but. What I enjoyed about it is a lot of the things I didn't think I would enjoy about it. Like, Radcliffe, I think, is... I think Radcliffe is an interesting choice for this one. I don't I don't always believe he is as... bad boy-esque as he's portrayed here. Like, I don't imagine Daniel Radcliffe listens to David Bowie. Um, I don't I know why... Know. I see him listening I to David Bowie. I don't know. I don't know. I look at when I'm like that. Are you I can't fan? see him listening to Marilyn Manson. Well, I mean, <laughs> like I can't see him listening to like that kind of music or anything. Like I, I just, it's like it's a weird thing. Like when I was like looking at him, I'm like, I, I don't know. But to me, like the original idea of casting Labouf totally totally makes sense because he was a, he still is a bit off the rails and a bit mental. But at the time, he was kind of he was just starting to be a bit more dangerous and be this dangerous actor, and. I enjoy Radcliffe's performance because I don't think the comedy. This is where the offset is. I don't necessarily believe that Radcliffe is this as as bad boy esque as the character is supposed to be. But if you put LaBeouf in there, I don't think I would find it as funny. In the parts that I think Radcliffe's got great comedic timing, like brilliant. Thank com- you. Yeah, I think yeah, he's got great. He really com- does. So that to me is what like I would be. I'd be making this movie not work in other parts if I swapped them so over time I've actually just like kind of grown to kind of love his performance in here and also like the daringness of him to take a role like this like mm. off the back of being I know why he did it because he didn't want to be high <laughs> forever. Um, but I think he's great in that I think Juno Temple is is sadly like she should be in more of this because I think she is phenomenal such an underrated actress. You just don't get enough of her in here for obvious reasons. Um, But yeah, the remaining cast are interesting little bit parts, so to speak. And I remember like reading a review like near the time saying, Well, it doesn't know if it was to be Twilight. And like coming back to watch it this time around, I had I don't know why I had that in the back of my head, but his brother played by Joe Anderson could be a vampire in Twilight. He is the most (laughs) pale looking, pale faced. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I mean Daniel Radcliffe is no, you know, he's 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 definitely a little bit translucent. Um, yeah. <laughs> Does he sparkle though? Does he sparkle in the sun? He did. No. No. Um, no, he does not. Um, almost, but not quite. <laughs> Um, he kind of glows, you know. <laughs> he does glow, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, it's funny because I mean, yeah, though, I I never ever thought of that, but I suppose with the woods and kind of aesthetic and this kind of you know tragic love story, and I I can kind of see that similarity, and um, but I never would have gone there myself. Like, no, no, I'm the same. I think people, people, I think anyone that thinks that a Twilight movie is being referenced in horns or uses a template for horns to make oh, a bigger no. selling movie is you know is i mean if you're looking at a purely superficial level yes he's a pale looking guy but he's also you know a jazz musician that only like basically sleeps all day and you know plays at night so that's why his brother looks the way that he does, does a ton of drugs. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly there is a reason behind that um yeah. 
let's 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 get into the actual movie story itself. So uh, the, the kind of cliff notes about this one: uh, Danny Radcliffe plays a character called Ig. Um, at the start, we realise that he is heavily suspected of the death or murder of his long-time girlfriend, Merrin, and he is trying to piece together what has happened. It's seen that he was potentially the last person that saw her before her body was found. It had a bit of a break, you know, a, a bit of a rammy, as they would call it in Scotland, but a fallout. Um... <laughs> And yeah, you know, so he's he's number he's suspect number one, and during the course of him trying to navigate all the suspicion in in town, he starts to grow these horns. But these horns come with some special abilities. Most notably, people cannot lie to him. They are like horribly honest, for better or worse. Um, and also, if he if he touches you, he can actually see what you've done in the past, the sins that you've committed uh, in the past. So there's that element tied to it as well. So he uses these newfound powers to try and, in a very noir-styled fashion, um, crack the case and find out who who murdered his girlfriend. And that's really the, the kind of cliff notes here. Um, tell me what it is about horns that you really like. Oh, lots. Um, <laughs> um, so the first thing that kind of, the, the one thing that I always remembered, like if I hadn't seen it for a bit, because there were scenes, because I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and mm -hmm. um, there were sort of bits and bobs that I hadn't quite recalled and things. But when I think of horns, the first thing that I think of is is the cinematography, um, these set pieces, especially like in the woods. I mean, it just really appeals to me, that whole thing, um, like forests of, like my kind of safe space you know i'll go there to just kind of zen out a little bit mm -hmm. um and so for me like all of the stuff in the woods and um everything has this very kind of heightened almost dreamlike quality to it um when he has these kind of recollections of him and merrin spending time and things and it's this very kind of stylized and you know this whole thing of like you know through rose tinted glasses and stuff um you know recollections and then the contrast between that and then when he's like in his day-to-day -day and everything's kind of much more like muted palette and you know slightly grittier and things and you know it's always kind of gray skies and all of this kind of stuff but I think like it really works well um and I think there's like this clear kind of distinction between you know his um there's so there's this kind of Thing that I've like picked up over the years where it's almost like him being with Merrin is that's his heaven yeah um and then he then she dies and he loses that and it's this whole kind of sense of him being this kind of fallen angel mm -hmm. where he's kind of kicked out of heaven he's kicked out of like the garden quote-unquote garden of Eden which is kind of like the woods and how it's all very kind of as I say, very heightened and very stylized and stuff and very kind of dreamlike and everything's perfect. And, you know, she's all glowy and dancing and whatnot. Yeah. And they just have it kind of own little, their own little world. And, and then like, he kind of gets kind of kicked out from that. And then <clears throat> in the town is kind of like his hell. Mm -hmm. um, and he is surrounded by people. And then through these powers that you've said, he starts to realize that everyone is actually just 
horrible Mm -hmm. (laughs) like everyone is just horrific and um you know everyone is after him everyone even his parents think that he's done this horrific crime um you know no one really believes him apart from like this one person um and his brother um and you know and it's this kind of very sort of clear contrast between um you know say through the cinematography between you know this kind of heaven versus sort of hell kind of parallel here um and i just think that that's really interesting and it's something that isn't shoved down your throat it's not anything that like you know it's not like here's a big flashing sign this is this and this is that um but it kind of creates that impression almost on a subconscious level um you know as you're sort of like going through and then when he has these sort of flashbacks and things it's you know you're taken back to this kind of magical world again Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah that like so that's one of the like main things you've got some really kind of like um interesting imagery when it comes to sort of you know backing up that kind of whole idea of fallen angel where you've got things like the snakes you've got mm-hmm. holding the fork, you've got like um you know her cross which is kind of protect is protection and you know and all of that kind of thing um and at the beginning where you know you as you said you start you start out in in the forest and it's it's Merrin and it's Ig and they have this really lovely wonderful loving moment and then all of a sudden it kind of rotates round and it's almost like you're going under kind of thing and then it's Ig and he's wake, woken up however long later and you know it, and it, he's this number one suspect in this crime and you know they've got the news reporters outside and everything is just really like oh you know and he's (laughs) drinking and that whole swirling mode i mean you feel that hangover like Mm -hmm. you know exactly what his head is feeling like in that moment and it's just this very kind of wonderful euphoric kind of scene suddenly contrasted with this oh dear god what the hell is happening you know (laughs) like do you think Here's a, here's a question for you. Um, okay. And there's an obvious connection. We were kind of joking about it before we started. <clears throat> the, I mean, the, to me, there's no accident that Heather Graham's in this movie as a waitress mm-hmm. in a diner um, offering cherry pie to <laughs> a customer in the background. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously it's a direct nod to Twin Peaks. Um, Definitely. But then what the, I, I maybe didn't... I always knew that was there, but I maybe then didn't realise how much that idea of the kind of Lynchian sensibility of, oh, here is a town from, from you know, from an outside point of view. It's a perfect little town and everyone has their own parts and all the rest, but you dig a little bit deeper under the surface. Um, yeah. Everyone's kind of a little bit nasty and they all have these secrets that they're holding on to, these little dark moments. And there's also the idea of, and Twin Peaks itself, um... Our, our, our main man, Kel McLaughlin, Agent Cooper, has the ability to tell when someone is lying. That's his yep. gift. Um, and then I see I see horns, <laughs> and I know for a fact that Joe Hill is a big Twin Peaks fan. Uh, and then I see this idea of, well, local girl that everyone loves, because that's everyone the thing loves. in here, everyone loves her. Like, all his friends are in love with her. Like, everyone is deeply in love like with her. Like, even his dad girl. is kind of jonesing after her a bit. Yeah, which, once again, it kind of fits that Twin Peaks vibe. Um, yes, so, you know, so we've got that idea of the, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the girl who's murdered in the logging town. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, I know, I know. And, you know <laughs> so on and 
everyone. <laughs> uh, and then our main character is uh, is the, the person that we're following through in the investigation has the ability to 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 tell who's lying. And, you know, but once again, that's maybe this is my third or fourth watch of this movie through, and this is the first time it kind of clicked all in on that level. And I like that about that. I'm a, like, you know, this from just. Like having to listen to just hearing you talk about anything ever. Yeah, I'd like Twin Peaks is a huge part of of. I think it is like if I'm taking my entire interest in in TV and film, like David Lynch is a huge part of that. And Twin Peaks is a huge part of that. And mm. what I think about it is it's very cleverly woven into this, and it like it's taken me three watches to kind of lean back on all the similarities without necessarily like the first time I watched Late Mungo, for example, I was like, oh well, this is Twin Peaks. Um, you know, like, hey, um, like the, the first time watching it, and it wasn't because the character surname was Palmer, and I was like, hmm, and she was, well, she was film-drummed, hmm, uh, was her body wrapped in plastic? No, it wasn't. Um, but, like, when I'm watching this movie, I'm starting to see all those things in, which I kind of like about it, because to me, Lynch has a really noirish quality about him, and I know I'm doubling down on that, yeah. but this movie, to me, feels like a fantasy noir movie, and I, I, yeah. I, I love that about it mixes two of my favourite flavours um, and I, I get that experience out do you think then watching this that I had a question formed and it was starting to come together do you think that when when approaching this from that point of view it's almost forcing you to do it like, there's a superficial way of viewing this movie which a lot of people did watch and they found it messy do you feel very much like the, the kind of Lynch stand, standard of making films that when you start getting those elements in there the movie's almost daring you to look at the subtext yeah no I think yeah I think um, I think it definitely does that and I think there's nothing wrong with that at all mm. um, I think that, and that's it kind of like taps into my taste generally and just you know, that kind of onion analogy, just the more you kind of strip back and you look at it, the more you kind of see. And um, I really like that. Like, I um, I love Twin Peaks. Um, I've yet to watch the third season. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it was just, it really kind of, like, catered to my sensibilities and just this, I, you know, again, it's, it's, I mean, even just, like, looking at the, the two towns between Twin Peaks and Horns, you know, and you've got, you know, on the surface, it's one thing and you can take it for that thing. And that is absolutely fine. You will, you know, you can come to that town, have a great time. But then, you know, if you actually do take that time to look beneath the surface, like Twin Peaks, like Horns, those things, you know, as, as the stories unravel and you kind of follow your, um, you know, your protagonist as you go through this journey with them and you find out more and more as they find out more and more mm -hmm. and things like, I don't see that. I don't see it as like hopping about. I don't, I think actually it has a very strong narrative because this is the journey. And in, if, if any, if anything like this happened in real life, that is how is it, it would go. You wouldn't get everything in just chronological order. You wouldn't get everything yeah. happened to you. Plus people, um, people are different. I, I think that's like, that's why I love like movies that like interactions feel different and some are more lighthearted than others and I think this movie captures that really well the way yeah. he speaks to his like best friend attorney Lee is completely mm. different to how he deals with Eric who's the police officer who was a kind of bully in the yeah. group growing up but like, he speaks to them very very different their, their interactions feel very very different because that's how people 
other. Like, no one <laughs> speaks to the same, you know, to, to uh, a select group of people exactly the same way or interacts with them, especially when it's dealing... Also, I think this movie does a great job of, like, showing different, like, kind of waves of grief and how they hit Egg as a character. Because, like, yeah. at some moments he seems to be able to hold it together and then small things trigger him off. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, the scene uh, where he vandalises the memorial at the... You know, he's ultimately pissing on candles which are representing the memory of his dead girlfriend. Um, yeah. But it's because it's, you know, that triggering of he can't be at this memorial service because he's blamed for it. Here's what um, David Morse, who's fucking brilliant as the dad, um, and this one, what he... Um, what he says about him and it's this triggering mechanism which starts with him vandalising one thing and ultimately ends up with him not only desecrating the the memorial area but sleeping with the the barmaid yeah and it's like a, a, a way of escalation it's him trying to take his mind off having to live in that moment and then you know you might be 20, 20 minutes into the movie later on and he's kind of he's he's that grief has moved on to the next stage. And I think charting those things, if you're not paying attention to it, can feel like it's been tonally inconsistent. But grief's not handled the same way day to day for for, for characters or people in real life as well. So I, I I'll, I'll think all those things kind of work really well in tandem in the movie of not only the, the switches in tone, but also just the switches in temperament of the character which ultimately reflects through his interactions. Like he, We see him with the ability to make people do whatever he wants and him, for the most part in this movie, not using it until a certain part kicks in. And then once, once he gets over that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start... I'm going to start getting some vengeance and make myself feel better. Within five minutes, he's made the police officers fuck each other and um you know his brother take all the drugs in the world uh as a kind of as a kind of way to, to lash out but it takes him a while to get to that and i don't know if it's just the expectation that if you have those powers you would abuse them straight away um i enjoy the character journey there what about you yeah 100 percent. i i pretty much agree with everything that you've just said i think absolutely yeah Grief is such um, a complex emotion and it does go through various peaks and troughs. And I think like <clears throat> you can be you can be absolutely on this self-destructive path and then next day actually, do you know what? I'm, I'm okay now. And but then like something will trigger you later on that day and oh I'm not okay. And um, you know, I think that the journey that it goes through is very real to life. And um when he does get these powers, I mean, I think. You know, if he didn't get the, if he didn't have this thing happen the day after he's, you know, had these very kind of self-destructive behaviors where, you know, he's, he's slept with this um, woman who's a childhood friend of his, and, um, you know, he knows that she loves him, mm. and he kind of just doesn't take advantage of it necessarily, but it's kind of like, well, I know that I can, you know, I can kind of do that, and, um, you know, and then he obviously he's, he's been drinking and all the rest of it, and then he kind of wakes up and. You know, and he has these horns come through, and I sort of wonder, like, if he had 
if he hadn't had those horns come through and things like would that self-destructive path continue or would he or would he be like okay this is rock bottom i need to sort myself out and it just happens that he has this distraction to help give him focus um and you know because i think that's the same i think a lot of people when it comes to grief or when it comes to anything like that that you're going through i think to have a focus and to have like like a mission almost is is a really good way to channel whatever it is you're feeling. And then so when he starts to realize that he can manipulate people into doing what he says and he can sort of find out like their deepest, darkest secrets because they'll just verbally vomit them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, like he's kind of like, oh, hey, like, and I, because he's not in a good place emotionally um, and mentally, like it makes complete sense that he would, maybe use that to to make himself feel better by lashing out at the people who he feels may have like wronged him or, or mm-hmm. contributed to his current hurting state um and you know and then i like how they're all kind of and again this kind of plays into almost the sort of associations that we have with like you know you look at films like seven and things when it's all about like the seven sins and how those deaths are very kind of ironic like these ones are kind of ironic as well and you know like you've got heather graham who just wants to be famous and be a face and known and then he kind of attacks her with these snakes mm-hmm. and it's like yeah you'll never be pretty like you know and um and with his brother you know making him take all of those drugs and things and um you know it's all kind of a, a bit yeah it's all kind of like uh, an ironic sort of thing and I think um the way that he goes through these tones before he gets to the point where like he actually has some clarification and he starts to really think about things and really starts to put things together I think it's all very natural within the realms of this very supernatural thing that's going on mm-hmm. I think the way that he responds to the, to those things is very believable and as you say yeah it's not it's it's not gonna be a to b to c is gonna be up and down um and i think that that's reflected really well in this film yeah for sure what do you think we've obviously talked about the cinematography and i'll double down with you i think it's i think it's great i think um i'm with you i think there's a clear juxtaposition between the happy times that he shared with men being portrayed as very bright vibrant color schemes um and kind of post that you have that you know kind of grey skies very almost industrial cold palette that kind yeah. of washes over it so there there's that clear separation between the events which I, which I really like what do you think of the score in this movie because oh, I, God, I, yeah, I, I, I really paid attention this time around and um, it was one thing that I'd never paid attention to I don't know why because I'm usually the guy that does that uh, when I watch yeah. movies I had never really I think it's because the story intrigues me so much. I never really paid that much attention to it. This time round, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, you know, I love a score. Um, mm-hmm. And I, Danny Alfman once said that if you watch a film and you don't notice the music, then that's a job well done. Yeah. Um, which I do agree with, but then it also means that you sometimes do miss out on really, really wonderful music. Um, and this one is just, it's, it's beautiful. It's haunting. It's melodic. It's really sad at times. Um, it's done. I didn't realize it's done by 
um because i think he's he he uses his full name but it's done by rob who did like maniac soundtrack right, and yep. revenge and he also did the latest sort of gretel and hansel movie from last year that's too. right yeah um which i've yet to see and i really, really oh it's it. really 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 I good, know, really I've good. Heard. <laughs> yep. um but yeah and he's i mean he's just such a talent and so when i found out it was him i was like of course it is um and yeah this is just it just really lifts every emotion that Ig is feeling or that Merrin is feeling. And I know that's kind of the point of a score, but it's just done so well. And I think it really kind of ties into this whole fairy tale kind of fable mm-hmm. type themes that we've got going on here um, because it's kind of fantastical and it's very kind of whimsical at, time, at times. But as I say, it's also really sad and, and emotional too. Yeah. I think I think it works incredibly well. It doesn't surprise me that he's working on this project just from the. I think he is. He may be French. I think I want to say he is French. I think Rob's French. I've got. I don't know. I've got in the, I've got in the back of my <laughs> yes, head. He is. I know this. <laughs> yeah, uh, Frank Calfin, who is best friends with. Um, Aja, they, they themselves work together on High Tension with Gone and Direct Maniac, um, which Rob scored. So I think that's the connection. I think right. uh, I may be wrong about that and just completely talking shit, but that's that's, that's how my memory <laughs> works, <laughs> works for it. Um, let's talk about how this does the best elements of dark fantasy, specifically with the violence. Because um, this is a movie, for the most part, uh, it's it's kind of funny, it's kind of quirky, it's kind of dark in bits. There there are certain mood pieces. When this movie needs to get violent, it gets violent, and that's not the the bust up with the with all the reporters, which is done for once again comedic effect. Yeah. But I'm I'm thinking about specifically the you know the the death of Mern when we finally find out what that is. Yeah. Um, to the the cop Eric and that scene where his head just yeah. explodes at the shotgun, which yeah. is difficult to see that and not think um, Del Toro, uh, because you know if you watch something like Pan's Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth yeah, <laughs> or even something like Crimson Peak, um, like when when, it, when he needs to lean in and do a bit of you know head trauma, that will mm-hmm. happen. But even yeah. the, the the goring sequence at the end, you know where it, where it goes Lee, um, yeah. It's all done very gnarly and tactile, and that's the bit that when you attach a name like Aja to a project, that's what I expected to see all the way yeah. through this. Um, clearly didn't, but I think it's used really, really well. What's your thoughts on it? Because it all comes relatively towards the end when we're ramping up things. Yeah, um, you have a few bits, like when Lee explodes his hand on the cherry bomb yep. um, and things that's pretty pretty gnarly and stuff um i think yeah i think um it's one of those where i i think honestly it works to its favor by not having it all the way through i think that if it had been all the way through it would almost be a little bit incongruous because the story here is really what you want to be focusing on. Yeah. And then by the time you get to the end and everything's unraveled and you realize everything, because, you know, you could have, there were elements here that you could at the end where you maybe didn't, not that you didn't need it in terms of like, oh, well, that's not needed. And just in terms of in telling the story, it could have gone 
um, a different way and it could have ended maybe a lot sooner or a lot less like um, full on mm -hmm. um, you know you just have him read the note and realize that you know she was in love with him the whole time and whatever and then Lee could get arrested and that bit the end but I think the whole thing is um, is is really well played off because you're following this story and then it reaches this climax and then boom like aside from a few odd bits here and there here's where as you say it's very much Aja and he's having real fun with it and oh, yeah. you know everything does get elevated and i think it's quite um apt because where they're in the forest where you know so far being in this forest for the most part we've just experienced these very kind of mm -hmm. ethereal kind of scenes and i think it it works really well being there because it's almost like they've gone into this not another reality that's a bit too much but it's almost like there's been this i guess a like for lack of a better term, like almost a filter that's been put over yep. where it allows for supernatural things to occur and it allows for these more kind of magical elements to occur. So you've got, you know, um, you've got it going into full transformation. You've got the snakes, you've got everything kind of going on. And it's very much believable because we've worked our way there and we've seen what it can do and how, all of those events have built up to this and it's i think if you had had that kind of stuff going on at the you know the beginning or, or the middle we hadn't got there yet you know we weren't ready as an audience to have that mm -hmm. yet. um so i think it works really well and it's a really really great payoff and you know even with the snakes like i <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous lee's death with all the snakes but at the same time i yeah. love it yeah um, because again, it's very kind of poetic if you think about it. You know, he's he's raped and murdered Merrin, and there he is being forced penetration, and mm -hmm. you know he just has to lie there and take it. Like there's nothing that he can do about it, and um, and obviously the whole snake imagery with the devil and all of that kind oh, of oh stuff. Yeah. Is so, there's, so, there's so much biblical stuff in here. It's it, like you could spend a podcast just going through like oh, the, yeah. the, the references to chapter and verse from the Bible. The, mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that uh, Heather Graham's character literally works in a diner called Eve. Eve's, yeah. And, uh, Eve's the, the symbol for the, the, the diner is an apple. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. come on. Really <laughs> some of it, isn't it? <laughs> I kind of love that about it because it's a movie that plays with a lot. I don't necessarily think by any stretch of the imagination it's a perfect movie at all. I think there are bits where I'm like, it's a really interesting idea. I wish we'd spent a bit longer crafting it and some in some respects it does kind of pay lip service to various bits and bobs and never fully fleshes out particular aspects i don't know if that's a book thing you know like in the book it does that that way or in the book that you have more time to it's a different medium so you can flesh out much more in a book than you can in a movie but like there's tons of that in there and I, i'm with you like i think at the end i know there will be some people out there that say the snake going down lee's throat is ridiculous um, and to me, within the context of what we're viewing, is one of the least ridiculous things. Like in the movie, um, our main character has just turned into a, a fallen angel. Yeah. <laughs> Shot with a shotgun a few times, stabbed a few times with a pitchfork. Um, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm kind of thinking, if the snake going out the guy's mouth is the line that you've drawn in the sand, it's <laughs> the wrong line to draw. Um, I think it all works. Like, I'm with you. I think it, it, it culminates in a very satisfying respect i mentioned at the start it bookends really well 
mm. with them being back to their happiest place at their happiest time uh, and him being back with her and maybe not the way that she thought was going to be. Her, her letter is very... When he finally reads the letter and realises that the reason she didn't want to marry him is because she's dying of cancer, uh, but she wants him to, you know, have this long life and have kids and grandkids and, and all the rest and on his deathbed, so to speak, return back to the place that we're most happy to be with her again and which i think is a bit jippy because hang on yeah. so you want to go off get married have kids have a family but then come back to what about his missus like <laughs> i mean I kind of awesome from titanic don't you think like there is there's a there's a slight bit of narcissism in there for sure uh you know like you, you'll get married you have a, a your lineage will carry on you'll be so happy and all the rest <laughs> But she won't be as good as Merton. Well, that's right. Yeah. It's only one Merton. <laughs> but there, there is because, like, in her, in her asp, in her eyes, how this was supposed to play out was she was going to leave town, and he wasn't going to be able to make contact with her. And then somewhere down the line, that key would have been found, probably after she died um, of cancer. And by then, he would have already maybe started to move on. So. You know the the escalation of this because she's been murdered is is the thing that kind of really is the is the kind of one of the main pinch points for him as a character being able to get over her. Uh, it's not that she just left town and started a new life somewhere. It's the fact that she was murdered in the town right after he had a horrific breakup with her that he can't public. Breakup. Yeah, public. So the, I, I I like I like how the the movie kind of. It, it doesn't have the... We could do the kind of six feet under ending to this one and jump through transitions of time to, to get to the bit where they get back together, but he makes that choice. Um, yeah. That, you know, he's going to he's gonna, he's gonna gonna get the revenge that he needs and then he's going to go and join her. Because um, what's, he's, what's he got left for? Um, where he is, he's heard what everyone thinks. Um, yeah. And he wants to be back with her. And I, I like that. There's something weirdly poignant and romantic um about it and i think it ends it ends in a in a strong place for the movie for sure yeah no definitely i think it's really poignant and like when i first watched the film like i didn't see that coming the fact that she i like i like i could i could sense that there was something mm-hmm. um like there was still something to come like it wasn't just this like i i could not obviously like like I couldn't believe that she would cheat on him. Like yeah. I just, I there was, I was just like, mm, does that? And obviously that's not true um, at all, which is why it doesn't ring true. Which I think is actually kind of a good thing that it doesn't ring true. But I just, I didn't know exactly what it would be. And so when it was like this whole, I'm letting you go for your sake kind of thing, and I'm being harsh to you because I need you to believe this so that you don't try and you know because i'll i'll end up just being weak and and staying with you and it's yeah. not good for me to for me to do that um you know it's just it makes it so much more heartbreaking like you know not that not just the fact that she's dead not just the fact that she was murdered not just the fact that you know he's had to endure all of this like um um like ostracization from the town and everyone just going at him and then having to hear about what everyone thinks of him is mother there's such a brutal scene mm-hmm. um and all of this and then on top of all of that like it's heartbreaking but at the same time it's it's like almost kind of validation you know because um you know she did love him that whole time and you know and i think that 
he can make peace with that side of things um yeah. and you see it on his face you know this kind of like relief of oh she did love me like it you know this it it wasn't just in my head like we did have this amazing connection and yeah as you say like she, you know he, he's got nothing left you know his his best friend was actually the the murderer mm -hmm. you've got um you know his brother's going off with his band his parents resent him you know the whole town thinks that he's this murderer and stuff like what really what what has he got to stay for and yeah. like if you know and then the fact that he fully embraces this whole kind of demonic side to what he's been given um you know and, and it's like it's like you pulled back the curtain you can't go back yeah yeah you know um so i think yeah i think it's right and I think also as well, like for him, like why would he like apart from the fact because he, he could leave, he could do what you know his old time friend who the girl he slept with could do and move out of town, and start a new life. But she was it for him. Yeah. So he has no interest in doing that with anybody but her. So why would he? You yeah. know, like if he can do this, and I, I think it's it's beautiful. I think it's tragic, um, and I think it's right for the for the film for sure. Yeah. Nice, nice. I can't remember what your original question was on this No, that's, that you, you, you took it and you ran with it, and I'm happy you did. <laughs> um, right, so let's kind of bring this in. Uh, is there anything else in terms of the movie itself that you want to point out? Any particular scenes that we haven't already spoken about that you, you want to mention before I ask you for your grade? Um... I yeah I mean I just we kind of briefly touched on it but I just kind of want to talk a little bit about the comedy in this yes. um, <laughs> because it is so funny mm -hmm. um, like if you have that kind of sense of humor like I don't know if um, I can't remember if Boad said that he had seen this film or not but I feel like if he hasn't he would really appreciate the humor I think um, I think he has I actually weirdly have a, a strange memory he's probably going to listen to this and call me a son of a bitch. But I have a sneaky suspicion he wasn't as high on this movie as me. Um, I will find out tomorrow when I'm recording with him. But I've got a, right. I've got a vague memory that he did a Devour the Podcast episode on this and Jamie really liked it and he was okay with it as 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 Bo is with some things where you're like no like you should like that, honestly like I'm like this is an amazing film you're like, oh, well he nah. does that a <laughs> lot he does that a lot. Oh, what are you doing to me. Um, but yeah, I, I just the humor in this is just like the whole bit in the in the doctor's reception with the kid. Oh yeah, and you know, and it's when we just kind of first start to realize what's happening, and um, so it's you're in this sort of space where you're just like, what, what is going on, you know? But you just kind of run with it, and it's just so funny because the receptionist who's this really little kind of like nice old lady and she'd give that kid a lollipop probably and all the rest of it and then she just comes out with just shut that fucking kid up and like, <laughs> pull her by her pig hair and drag her out of <laughs> and you're this part of you like yeah you know because like, mm. that kid is just so infuriating but at the same time oh no because that is just a little girl and then um you know you've got the the well, mother she, and she says she says she's just that little well we see that she's just that little girl until she says that she wants to burn her mom alive well yeah um, so <laughs> yeah and yeah. that's um yeah that's like again it's a bit of a whiplash like, what yeah. <laughs> and then the bit when he comes out and like you've got the reporters following him and he's just like tell you what why don't you just beat the shit out of each other and whoever wins gets me an exclusive kind of mm -hmm. thing 
and he's just there like he's kind of in it it's funny because like um you know the things that he kind of does and says is like really quite not, not very nice at all but he's just having real fun with it and i think just really like you know having this sort of element of power where he can kind of just make people do stuff and that whole bit at the end when he well, at the end of that scene when he comes out of the bar after it's been set on fire and there's just carnage behind him and he there's just smoke and he comes out and he's got these horns and he's in his jacket and he's just walking and you've got oh, Marilyn Manson yeah. um <laughs> so badass tune regardless especially for this scene and he's and he's coming out and he's got all of that going on and it's just it's so cool and you it's one of those moments in the film where like I just find myself kind of clapping with glee mm -hmm. <laughs> and again it's just one of these things where it just sort of really offsets everything and um and I think yeah you're right with Daniel Radcliffe his expressions his his reactions to stuff when he's in the with in the doctor surgery and, and there's this really great line where he's like what does he say he says um uh, oh, can you see anything that might be wrong? And the doctor's yeah. like, you mean besides your horns? No, that's exactly what yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, of course that's what I mean. Um, and his just reaction to this doctor's like, the fuck? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just so funny. And like, you know, not to mention Harry Potter too much, but there was elements of this kind of subtle sense of humour with his reactions in, um, I think it was the Half-Blood Prince, where he gets high, essentially, on this potion that... Mm -hmm good luck I, i'm saying this in case people haven't seen it because i'm not entirely sure if this is the right target audience for harry potter <laughs> but, um he's kind of taking this potion that gives him good luck and he's feeling very very happy and it's it they definitely on set played it off as though he's very high mm -hmm. and just the way that he acts in this scene he's at a funeral but he's very like happy and he's kind of like making all these expressions and i don't think daniel radcliffe gets enough credit for his comedic talents because he has got such timing on it and um yeah. i think that's really explored well in this film and stuff and oh god the line like where the woman who's shagging her um her golf instructor and she's like i call it my five iron yeah <laughs> <laughs> And then even at the end, like when you've got all of this stuff going on and, you know, the, the copper gets his head like horrifically blown off, mm. um, you know, brains and his head like opens up and everything. And then Lee, who did it, just kind of like snorts with laughter. And like, I can't help it, but I have to snort with laughter too. <laughs> like, I'm well, like, he's, he's, a really, he's a really interesting villain. Uh, he is. Because the, once the mask is pulled back on that character... There's a really gleeful darkness that he explores. Ah. You know what I mean? He really like once once we realise once we realise who he is as a character and what makes him tick. Um, he's vicious. He's absolutely vicious. It sets his best friend on fire. Um, you know, yeah. uses his foot to close the door to make sure he can't get out. Um, yeah. It's like there's there's a you know there's a a, a a nastiness at his core where you realise he's probably always been like this and probably oh, always yeah. had to hide it. So it's that lynching peel back the the surface to see what's actually underneath. It's the yeah, yeah. it's the blue velvet you know going through the green grass into the you know into the muck and seeing all the bugs and the worms and stuff. Um, it's it's done really well. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think. Like, the comedy aspect doesn't work as well without Radcliffe in the performance. I think you need that. Otherwise, this movie is unrepentantly dark um, and just oppressive. I think you need yeah. those moments there of levity to, 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 to essentially break up the 
the tone, the overall tone of the movie. It needs it needs those moments to laugh because it's a movie that can't be taken seriously. The central premise of it is that there's a character that's grown devil horns. So yeah. like on that there is there is a bit of the absurd in there. So to to give you those kind of tonal changes between kind of dark drama or kind of dark thriller and then you know flat out almost slapstick comedy the the reporters beating themselves up are slapstick comedy um Mm. all those elements work really well because of that not in spite of it so yeah no for sure and i think another example of that is when um what's the face is um eating those donuts <laughs> um, and I watched I watched it for the first time in a few years, as I said, and um I'm watching it again. That's how my toddler eats. Yeah. Like <laughs> just shoving it all in her mouth and then looking at you like what? Like there's a bit where she puts the first one in her mouth and she's like, for the immediate day she's like right back for another one. Um, yeah, she's like, I have another one though. And also I'm I'm sorry, but I, I relate. I relate so hard. <laughs> Um, to that, like, oh, I shouldn't, but, oh, yeah, but can we add one more? Can I? And then just go face in. But then again, it's that it's that balance of, like, comedy with, like, more serious stuff. Because actually, like, the first time I watched that, I just thought it was a really funny scene and whatever. But actually on repeat watches, what she's saying is really heartbreaking. And also, it's ho- horribly tragic. She's a horribly tragic character. <laughs> like, like when, yeah. when you see when, when, when she talks about... Like she, the 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 idea of her, she, like I, I, you know, if I if I was fat, at least it would be something, you know, because yeah. everyone else just take like looks at me as one dimensionally in one aspect, and that's the one thing that I don't want to be, um, you know, that this idea of her like like eating eating herself to obesity as a way to, you know, remove that aspect of making her desirable to drunken men. But at the same point, to give her something that makes her stand out is is a deeply horrific, like sentiment that is played yeah. off against the backdrop of her plain chubby bunny with some donuts. It's, um, <laughs> uh, you know, what I mean, it's it, it is it's, it's one of the reasons I like it because it's a scene like that pitched the wrong way doesn't work, but it works very well here. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, and I th- yeah, I think the comedy is is just it works so well for for all the reasons that you said, you know. And um, it's one of the things that I think makes it quite accessible as a movie mm-hmm. because you've got all of this stuff that is really bizarre. You know, just say you've got a guy who's woken up with some horns. You've got these like you know that that hallucinogenic drug trip is like so out the park and you know and you've got all of these things going on and then I think but if, with this humor it, it's accessible so I could probably shove this on for my mum um and she would have a really great time with it um you know if you take that comedy away she would probably watch it but be like that was that was fine that was you know I like what it did with this but that's not for me whereas I can imagine her liking this film because the comedy is there to kind of help offset everything else um you know, so yeah, um, uh, yeah, but I think that's 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 kind of it, really. Just um, though I just because we it's the Joe Hill book and things. I don't know if you noticed that there was like, did you notice like the the logger statue, the the lumberjack statue, not a logger, you know what I mean? Um, like, no, I didn't. In the town. No. I thought that was maybe like a little Easter egg for it. Oh, it could very well be. It could very well be. Yeah, <laughs> and stuff like that. And also as well, like with the whole bit where the at the you know where they have like the going back to childhood and they have like a very kind of dynamic that is kind of very 
sort of reminiscent of Stephen King's style of writing where you have like a group of kids and stuff and they're getting up to no good and how everything in that past has a direct correlation to things that are happening into the, in the future and stuff. Like I thought that was quite, I don't know if that, because I haven't read the book. Well, so I don't know, there, is a, there is a kind of, there, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a kind of itty thing in that as well because they're a group of friends and then the new girl moves to the town and they all kind of mm-hmm. fall in love with yeah. her. So um, I, th- I think you're right. I think it, the, the weird thing about it is I know they've done... Uh, they they kind of collaborate on stories between each other so they make references to each other's books so it would not surprise me in the extended Hill King universe that there's crossover there for sure that would make sense to me um, yeah, I just wondered if you'd picked that stuff up. I don't know. I, I certainly certainly picked up the stuff with the the kids. Did not about the the logger, and I will go back and check. Yeah, it's it. just like one <laughs> shot. Um, it's like um an over, not an overhead shot. It's like a high high point kind of perspective shot, and um, it's just like on the on the mm. sort of side of the screen, like you've got the logger, and it was just very kind of yeah, very reminiscent of the um lumberjack statue. Yeah, and, uh, I'll need to check it out. I'll need to check it out. Um, and yeah. you know that we do Netflix. Well. I see Netflix grades. It's not Netflix. Netflix hasn't had grades in about 10 years. Um, but we do old school Netflix grades here. It's one through five. Uh, one is hated it. Two is didn't like it. Three is liked it. Four is really liked it. And five is loved it. I'll kick us off. Um, yeah, I think that coming back to watch this one, I mean, it's not a loved it because there are like a couple of elements, like I said before, where I'm like, if we just tidy this up a little bit. Plus, I think it's... As messy as the film is, I think for the most part that messiness aids it. I think if it was a bit too clean and a bit too crisp, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't have mm. my interest. Um, and like I've said before, noir stories at their core should always be messy. They shouldn't be clean, you know, case closed, book them down. Oh, they should never be like that at the end. There should always be elements where, but we spent time doing this. Why did we do that? Because not everything narratively will tie up and make sense when you're investigating a mystery. Um, so I, I kind of really like how it goes down on that one. That being... The detective route. It is. It's very much the true detective route. Like, nothing is ever neat. If it's neat, then by design, someone has made it neat for you, which means that is not right. Um, yeah. There should always be Dubai. There should always be... I mean, even at the end, Lee's motives in this movie, we know that he always loved her, but I don't know how he ever thought... Like this is how you know that there's a disconnect in his brain. How he ever thought anything was going to happen there? Yeah, it's not that he's just read the sing- signals wrong. He's read the signals wrong forever. Um, yeah. Which I mean, you know. So I, I love those those elements here. Um, I think overall it's a four point five for me. So it's, it's not quite the loved it, but it's certainly stronger than the the uh, the really liked it. Coming into watching it this time around, it was it was sitting about a four star movie for me. Um, and on this and this watch it went up that you know that up that point five and I'm glad that it did and I'm glad that I've come back and checked out. I look forward to seeing if it makes the ten for for twenty. If not, I do recommend people go out and watch it anyway, just because yeah. it is and you can get it relatively cheap on Blu-ray now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I went yeah. on Netflix and it wasn't there, and I was like, ah, it used to be on Netflix. It did. That's how I watched it. Years but ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100. 4.5 for me as well. Um, yeah, I, 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 there are yeah there are bits that like like I would like to explore Lee's character a little bit more just because I think he is so interesting and mm-hmm. maybe they do in the book I'll have to see in six months time when I eventually finish the last fifty pages of my current book um, and um, you know and I think that um, yeah there were, you know there are certain little things about the end which um, maybe could have been a little bit neater in terms of just like 
like just some of the more kind of supernatural stuff like it could you know um there's some things that kind of were a little bit bored not even like the snake bit but like with him transforming and stuff a little bit like a touch over the top but like really i'm, I'm nitpicking at this point so mm. yeah 4.5 for sure nice nice right kate i said at the start you've got a brand new podcast that will be out probably we're talking like not a lot of time after when this episode drops we're recording this about a week and a half in advance of this episode dropping and you've got your timeline for your, your show recording all the rest reminder listeners out there what the show is called uh so it's called eternal darkness of not so spotless minds and it's me and um, a good friend Matt Wood, who, if you're on the Facebook page, I'm sure will have you will have interacted with or seen posting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so um, as I say, it's just a very kind of like chilled out. Just <laughs> he's, he's sort of dubbed it as a couple of twats talking movies, um, <laughs> which is accurate. You know, it's to the point. It's accurate. Um, and uh yeah so we have a facebook page currently set up um it's just me and him at the minute because we haven't been (laughs) advertising it because we haven't got a show yet um but you know when things drop and stuff if you would if you like the show and would like to be part of that please come and join us we'll pretty much accept anyone um we're desperate Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we haven't got like a twitter and stuff set up yet um I I used to have a Twitter. You have to have a Twitter to set up a page, and I used yeah. to have a Twitter, and I hate Twitter. So I'm gonna see if he'll do that one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't have to. Um, but Facebook seems to be like where most people interact and stuff. And I'm gonna be setting up an Instagram page soon too. We have an email address because um, you know we're really up to date with technology, <laughs> um, and that is um, oh I can't actually remember what was it. It's <laughs> I think it's just eds so. Uh, yeah ed spotless minds at gmail.com so um yeah that'll all be like on the blurb and it'll all be on the facebook page if i have got that wrong apologies um (laughs) yeah so um it's it's very very early days we're still kind of like setting stuff up matt's had some problems with working out editing and whatnot so we've kind of been focusing on that um and then yeah i'll um, over this next week or so we'll be getting all the other stuff up and running um ready so that when the episode is recorded and edited and put together it will all be there ready and raring to go nice and like i said at the start of the show you will be featuring on the summer series this year so yep. uh, what what two years did you land i got 2012 and 2019 and that's a good split that's a good split they, yeah and they are heavy hitters yeah 19, uh, 2019 in particular is a brutally oh, difficult year so it's going to be just like a top 10 of like every single movie that should be just going through. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to make for good listening and hopefully lots of decent movies are going to get watched as well. Nice. Nice. Kate, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, it's you. been a pleasure to finally chat to you in a yeah. environment where we can back and forth. Without Actually back and forth. Them. Yeah, it's yeah. been nice. <laughs> Um, you're always welcome back under the stairs so um, yeah if there's ever a movie that you fancy bringing to the audience under the stairs to let them listen to uh, please do Um, the the door is always open and I'm going to take my final break of this episode ladies and gents when I come back I'm closing out the show and I'm doing it right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs 
And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been bonus episode 276 with the review of Horns from 2013. Thanks very much to my guest Kate Pollock for joining me. Like I say, our podcast drops today. So you heard our details there. They have a Facebook page. It is now created. It is out there. Please go across and support a brand new podcast. Check it out. Give them some love. There's a ton of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. Wherever you're listening to us right now, hit subscribe. That way you never miss any of the episodes that drop out. Plus you have access to the entire back catalogue of over 800 episodes strong. Subscribe to the Teapots Collective. You get Where to Begin With, Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty and Chronicle with all their archives as well. It's a sister feed to this where I get to explore through different podcasts and different guests. So please show it some love as well. You can find all those shows on teaputscast.com, T-P-U-T-S-C-A-S-T.com, and that will give you links to Jaws is Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts, the booze-based banter podcast. Difficult to say, lots of bees there. Alliteration, ladies and gents. Um, you can check out that second episode dropped last week. Ton of fun, great feedback. Uh, we get messy and drunk on it, and it's not horror related. So if you fancy switching your brain off, not listening to me talk about movies and just shoot the shit with people, Jaws is shite and other regrettable outbursts is the show for you. Also found on tputzcast.com. You can visit the merch page tputzcast.bigcartel.com and check us out on Facebook facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. Teapots Collective is facebook.com forward slash teapotscast and Jaws' shite and other regrettable outbursts is just simply facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. You can send in your regrettable stories for the next episode to regrettablepod at gmail.com. You can reach out and touch myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sections. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at teapotscast. The podcast under the stairs returns for you tomorrow with another one of those 88 films slasher classic collection series of reviews. So until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off.